1: Our theme for the month of September is work as worship, how everything we do in our lives can be an expression of worship, an act of worship to God. So today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, part of the creation story, Uh, beginning with verse 4. On the day the Lord God made earth and sky, before any wild plants appeared on the earth, before any field crops grew... Because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth, and there still was no human being to farm the fertile land, though a steam rose from the ground and watered all the fertile land, the Lord God God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life into its nostrils. The human came to life. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human he had formed. In the fertile land, the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit and also grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows from Eden to water the garden. And from there, it divides into four headwaters. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It flows around the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. That land's gold is pure, and the land also has sweet-smelling resins and gemstones. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It flows around the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, flowing east of Assyria. And the name of the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the human, settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the human is alone. I will make a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but a helper, perfect for him, was not to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh around it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, this one finally is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh, She will be called a woman because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. The word of God for the people of God. So this is a story about creation. If we as Christians believe, claim that our God is the creator God, that our God created everything that exists, all things that we see and all things that we can't see from the tiniest microscopic single-cell organisms that can only be seen through a high-powered microscope to the, to the greatest of things, supermassive galaxies that stretch thousands of light miles across, that we can only see through super-powered telescopes and everything in between. If God made all of that, is it a stretch to say that, one, that God is one heck of a magnificent artist. Have you ever looked through a high-powered telescope into the night sky? Have you ever snorkeled along an ocean reef? Have you ever witnessed the birth of a child and held a newborn in your arms? Have you ever listened to the melodious sound of of a songbird? Have you ever observed the flight of a a bumblebee or a hummingbird? Have you ever watched dolphins play in the surf and wish you could go out and join them? Have you ever stood on a mountaintop for a sunrise or a sunset? Have you ever smelled the intoxicating fragrance of a magnolia blossom? Have you ever savored the sweetness of pure raw honey? Have you ever watched a butterfly emerge from its cocoon? Have you ever felt the rhythm of waves slapping the shore? Has, has anything ever in creation, in nature, taken your breath away? Have you ever seen something in the created world and just have to pause and say somehow in your own words, good job, God, job well done? Is it an exaggeration to call God the master artist? Who made everything that exists with love and extravagance and unparalleled creativity. Who employed every color, every shade, every hue, every kind of texture, every combination of sight and sound, every shape and form, from simple to complex, from harmonious to dissonant, from minute to gargantuan, from monotone to multispectral, from animal to vegetable to mineral, from subtle the breathtaking, God is a great artist. God the artist made everything with unbounding, indescribable, immeasurable flourish and finesse. Is it too far of a stretch to call God the great sculptor? the great designer, the great composer, the great poet or craftsman or inventor or conductor, the great author, the great master gardener, the head chef, the lord of the dance, the original artist of artists. And if the Bible is right, that God made everything, and if we can agree that God is a great artist, and if the Bible is correct, that you and I were made in the image of God, that we, the created, were created in the image of the creator artist, doesn't that imply that something about being made in the image of God makes us artists too? But here's the thing. If I were to, I'm not going to do this. Take a deep breath. It's okay. If I were to say, like, I'd like all the artists to stand up this morning so we could recognize you, I'm willing to bet not many would, The most of us would stay seated, maybe the folks that come up on stage and sing and play instruments, maybe a handful of others, but most of us would just keep our seats, because when we think of artists, we tend to think of those professionals people that are really good that have you know honed skills and beautiful voices and maybe get paid for what they do but here's an irony if I went into a group of children let's say a kindergarten class or a first grade class and I just said to all the children how many of you are artists would you stand up how many do you think would stand up every single one of them if I said, okay, all the artists, would you come and get some paper and crayons and make for me a beautiful drawing? How many do you think would come? Every one of them. If, if I turned on music and I said, now, I just want all the singers to sing. The rest of you don't sing, don't sing. And only the dancers dance. How many do you think would sing? I'd be surrounded by a chorus, right? I'd be surrounded by a company of dancers. But there's something that happens, right? If I did that with a group of 6th and 7th graders, what would happen? Not as many. Why? Because developmentally, we become more self-critical, more self-conscious. We start evaluating. We start comparing. They are pretty good when they play their instrument. I'm not as good. They're pretty good when they draw their drawing. Mine looks kind of embarrassing, kind of like a scribble. They have talent. I don't. So we start to self-edit. I'm not an artist. Only talented people are artists. then, of course, by the time we become adults, we become serious. Who has time for artistry? We've got serious business to do. For a brief moment in college, I was an advertising major. And back then, I imagined we did print advertising. I imagined that that was going to be my livelihood. I would be doing print advertising, so I thought it might be a good idea to take a drawing class just to get some basic principles under my belt. I hadn't drawn since I was a child. I'd never taken a drawing class. It was an elective. I thought, what could I lose? I had no idea that on the day after our first assignment, all of our drawings were going to be put side by side on the wall for everybody to see and to be evaluated publicly by our artist professor. Everyone else in the class was an artist. I mean, a technical drawer I, I had done the best I could but it didn't compare and that happened week after week I would never have signed up for the class if I had had any idea now I passed the class with a decent grade I got through it with only a mild amount of humiliation but I'm no better of a drawer today I know a few technical skills but I don't draw at least not in the technical sense of the word I scribble I doodle right there are a number of things that i enjoy artistically i like to sing i play some musical instruments i i like to write but i'm not particularly gifted in any of those areas it's not hard to find someone who's better at me than any one of those things but does that mean i shouldn't do them Isn't that what we do? We assume, well, well, I'm not as good as that person. I don't sing as beautifully as they do. I don't write as eloquently as they do. So then I probably ought not do it. But if we are created in the image of the master artist, then there must be an artist in each one of us waiting to emerge, waiting to pick up our brushes and our paints, or whatever your medium might be. Now, maybe your art isn't traditionally artistic, and maybe you couldn't earn a living doing it, and that's okay, by the way. Isn't it kind of sad that we equate real artists with those who can make a living doing it? It's kind of utilitarian. I want us to think more spiritually, more theologically. What if our artistry, what if the artist in you is simply the opportunity, the invitation to participate in the ongoing work of creating God's beautiful world? The theologian Carolyn Jane Bowler writes, if we consider ourselves made in the image of God, the image we share in common with God is to be image makers, to be able to create, to visualize, To imagine. The spiritual writer Christine Aroni Scene writes, When we tap into our imaginations, we dream of what could be. We open ourselves to different choices and set in motion the creation of a new reality that can dramatically change both our future and our world's future. Being an artist doesn't necessarily mean that you have a particular talent or a particular artistic skill. Artistry is about imagining the world in new ways. It's believing that the world is better with more beauty and more order in it. It's not about being limited to kind of those traditional mediums of art, of dance or music or painting It's simply about being part of the creative processes. Artists are creators, and there's much to be created. Where would we be today if there weren't scientists who created a COVID vaccine? Where would we have been for the last 18 months if there weren't uh, folks who understood how to create things like Zoom and Facebook Live so that we could stay connected even when we needed to be a part? How many creative new ways have emerged during this season that have helped keep life going, even when it's been so challenging? And so today I read part of the creation story. The creation story is in Genesis 1, 2, and chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 1, it, it tells about the creation of the store of, of the creation of all things in seven days. And on the sixth day, it says. Let us, God says, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that, catch this, they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on the earth. God invites us to be part of caring for creation. And then a minute ago, you heard me read Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden. To farm it and to take care of it. We said last week that God from the very beginning, beginning created us to work. And that work took two main functions. One was to bring life from the earth, to farm it. And the other was to take care of it or to tend it, to hold back the darkness and the encroaching weeds and wildness. It's both In Our work is to bring forth new and hold back the bad. Genesis 2, we see in this creation story, God creates a human like an artist, right? He forms it, he sculpts the human out of the, the, the clay of the earth. And then he gives them a job, farm, make stuff, grow stuff, tend it, trim the hedges, prune them back. Then he brings forth all the animals for naming. You notice that? God didn't name all the animals God brought the animals to the human for naming. Naming is a creative act, isn't it? That one I'm going to call aardvark. Duck-billed platypus, right? hippopotamus, anaconda, tarantula, slug, iguana, sloth. Those probably have Hebrew equivalents. I just don't know what they are. But then there's a detail in Genesis 2, that after 30 years of reading and teaching, I've just noticed for the first time, thankfully from an author that I was reading, in Genesis 2, when it talks about this Garden of Eden that God has made and placed the human in, there is a brief moment where it locates Eden geographically around four rivers. It says that that Eden is located where four rivers divide the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. And I've noticed that. But here's the part I never noticed before. After reading it dozens and dozens of times, Genesis eleven and twelve, Genesis two, verses eleven and twelve says the Pishon River flows around the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. That land's gold is pure. And the land also has sweet-smelling resins and gemstones. Right there in the creation story, an interesting detail. If you need gold and gemstones, go up to Havilah. You can find Havilah because it's where the Pishon River is. That's where you're going to find the gold and the gemstones that you'll be needing. But here's the question. Needing for what? Now, we know how the story turns out after the fall, but in Genesis chapter 2, God's intention is that humans will live in the Garden of Eden forever where there will be food in plenty. Everything we need is available in the Garden of Eden. If we were still in the garden, we would have no needs. It's only when we get kicked out of the garden that we start to have human needs that have to get met. So the question is, what on earth Is this reference there for? Why is there any reference to gold and gemstones in the Garden of Eden? What purpose could they possibly serve? Now you might say, well, those are important commodities. They're going to be needed later because they have value, and so we can trade, you know, I'll trade you bananas for so much gold, and you'll trade me a sheep for so many gemstones. Not necessary in the creation story. In fact, if we want to get real practical, if we're going to say that God is pointing out stuff you'll need, why didn't God point out this is where you go for the ore to make gardening tools because that was their job? Or here's where you go get the best wood to build a house because you're going to be living forever, so you might want to build a nice place to live in. Or here's where you grow the really good tomatoes, right? I mean, it's not practical. There's no practicality here at all. Why is there a mention of gold and gemstones if God isn't speaking to artists? And here's an interesting little tidbit. If you go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it says that there is a city that comes down from heaven. By the way, it's the New Eden. And the streets are paved with what? Gold. (laughs) And what are the walls made of? What are the gates made of? Gemstones. Perhaps this is an imitation to God's artist made in God's own image to get busy and do the work of building a beautiful heavenly world. St. Francis once said, He who works with his hands is a laborer. He who works with his hands and his head is a craftsman. He who works with his hands, his head, and his heart is an artist. By that definition, what's your art? If you work with your head, your hands, and your heart, what's your art? Now, you may be a traditional artist. Maybe you sing or play an instrument or paint well. Or maybe your art is making a delicious meal that you enjoy and share with others. Maybe your art is a well-manicured garden that produces food to eat, Maybe your art is a well developed business plan that launches something new into the world. Maybe your art is how to invent new and different and original things that make life better. Maybe your art is bringing a group of people together with diverse talents and abilities to become a team. Maybe your art is creative problem solving. Maybe your art is repairing and restoring what's broken and preserving and improving it for the world so it's not just thrown away. Maybe your word, maybe your art is a a right Needed word of wisdom or compassion spoken, given at just the right time. Maybe instead of an artist's easel, you use a laptop. Maybe instead of a dance floor, your place of artistry is a construction site. Maybe instead of using your voice for singing, you teach. Maybe instead of sculpting clay, you sculpt young minds. Maybe instead of using words to write poetry or music, you write well-done Legal briefs, whatever it is, whatever it is that you make or create, the image of the creator lives in you and is waiting to be revealed. The world needs the creator image in you to be revealed. Oftentimes we think of art as an expression of culture. Each culture has its own art forms. Author Andy Crouch says, culture is what we make of the world. Culture is our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it is given to us and to make something else. And So whether your medium is gold or gemstones or paint or paper or pen and ink or computer code or a a team of novice adolescent soccer players or a pile of fabric and thread or a few delicious ingredients, artistry is just about seeing what's possible and using the gifts God has given you to bring that possibility into reality. Now, I want to make one more point, and we don't have nearly enough time for me to be bringing this up now, so I'm not going to be able to go very deep into it, but I just want to say this. I believe the world has taught us how to be good consumers. Consumers but not necessarily good creators. Part of understanding who God made us to be spiritually, theologically, is rejecting that my sole purpose in life is to consume. But rather, God made me to create. You were not made so that everything you desire could be delivered to your door by Amazon as quickly as possible for you and yours to consume and then replenish as soon as possible. Yes, we consume, but we were made to create. Even thinking about worship, right? Work as worship. How often do we think of worship as a place of consumption? I come to receive the music I like. I come to receive a message that hopefully won't bore me. I come to hopefully be with people that I like, right? But if we think of worship more broadly as how I use all that God made me to be, including my artistry, then everything is about what I bring to worship, what I give to worship. Giving to God my whole self. It's not about consuming, it's about entering in and being part of. Our job, as friends, is to join the fun of the ongoing work of making and remaking, restoring, renewing, rebuilding, beautifying, tending, and taming God's beautiful world. One of my favorite writers is also a painter. He's a Japanese-American named Makoto Fujimura. And he writes... The essential question is not whether we are religious, but whether we're making something. The essential question is not whether we're religious, but whether we are making something. So artists, what are we making? Most us And so, God, for the many, many artists that we're surrounded by, for the beauty they bring into our lives, we are thankful. Especially today, we give thanks for our musicians. But, Lord, I pray this morning that you stir up gifts of artistry in each one of us, that you would reveal to each one of us that we are image bearers and image makers. Lord, may we be part of building a beautiful world. May we be part of your kingdom, your beautiful kingdom. Come on earth as it is in heaven because we have made something good with the gifts you've given us. May our making be our worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future.